23. This is uh, title of the message is a horrifying disappointment. Um, it's one of those messages that will not be uh, particularly um, easy, uh, pleasant to uh, to preach. But it is part of the whole counsel of God. It is in the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we begun so many months ago and winding now down now to the very end. Uh, we have today and uh, possibly next week and we'll be done with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but begin Matthew chapter 7. Uh, look at verse 21. Where it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will, con I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And we're told to examine ourselves to uh, make sure that we're in the household of faith. We're told to make our calling and election sure. It is wise that from time to time we re-examine our profession of faith. Uh, we'll see this morning uh, why that is so important. And uh, while we do cling tenaciously to the doctrine of once saved, always saved, uh, we'll see the very real possibility that just because you say saved things and because you do saved things does not in any way by itself mean that you are saved. The only person that gets to decide if you are saved or not is not you in the slightest. That only person you'll see is going to be Jesus Christ. We're introduced here to those who apparently believe themselves to be genuinely converted and they appeal to their, their churchy activities to prove it. But it turns out that they have no real relationship with the Lord that they're appealing to. See, the false prophets up in verse 15 were deceivers, but these are, these are self-deceived people. Acceptance by Jesus Christ doesn't depend on your profession or your activity, but it depends on whether Jesus knows you. Many of you have so misunderstood the doctrine of assurance of salvation that, that you'll, you'll tune out a message like this. You'll think that since you said a prayer, since you made a profession of faith, since you declared yourself saved, that you have no need of a message that might call into question the veracity of your claim. What you do then by thinking that is prove all the more that, that you need to sit up and wake up and pay attention. Jesus gravely implies both his divine sonship when he says, my father, and his position as judge on Judgment Day. Now, he is not formally announcing himself as the judge, but insinuating that uh, you know, what men will say to him and then what he will say to the men on that final day of judgment. The mere performance of remarkable actions, even supernatural ones, 
is not necessarily divine authentication. Remember that Satan counterfeits the works of God, and he can counterfeit those works of God in your life. False teachers and false converts will be fully unmasked, and they'll be fully judged. Neutrality is, is impossible here. Uh, Jesus is, is making you make a definite decision. In these three verses, there is more warning about playing at this church stuff than just about anywhere else in Scripture. What we see, which will be point number one, is in verse 21, that being saved has nothing to do with what you say. Verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. See, verbal profession of Christ, though, let, let, let's give this caveat, is indispensable. All right? In order to be saved, Paul wrote that we have to confess with our lips and believe in our hearts. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tell us that. And a, 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 a true profession of Jesus Christ is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit. We understand that. But a verbal profession may be a camouflage for disobedience. The self-deceived false professors think they will go to heaven because they, they have a good reputation with other believers. That they have, uh, if we go back to chapter 6, chapter 5, that they've, that they've kept the fasts, they've, they've given the alms, they've been favored in the church as, as if this would atone for their secret pride and their worldliness and their sensuality and their lack of love for God and people. It's not terribly uncommon to find those sitting in churches knowing that they're unconverted but would rather die in their sins than risk the damage to their pride admitting that they were a false professor. The idea of self-examination is so foreign that, that, that being lost is almost a laughable notion. I mean, they still think they are saved because they say they are saved. You say that you are saved, but you're constantly disrespecting your wife, or you cheat on your husband, you steal from your boss, uh, you cheat the government, you beat your kids, you mentally dwell on sinful thoughts, or you hate someone. You're relying for salvation on, on, on what's called creedal information, on, on what you say about Christ, like, like, like the sinner's prayer. You, you have said it, so it's so, and then how, how dare anyone call you into question no matter how inconsistent you are or how much they try to love you with the truth. The profession these guys made, it's, it's polite. I mean, it addresses Jesus as Lord, just like today, the most respectful and courteous way. Of, of, of referring to Jesus is still to say our Lord. And next, the, the profession is orthodox. I mean, it is doctrinally right. It is biblically accurate. It's, it's the right thing to say. I mean, even Spurgeon himself couldn't repudiate the words. 
I mean, this is an accurate, orthodox confession or profession of Jesus Christ. I mean, we'll see, it's, it's, it's fervent, all right? It's, it's heartfelt. It's not cold and formal, but it's an enthusiastic, Lord, Lord. It's as if the speaker wants to, to draw attention to the power and the zeal of his devotion. He wants everybody to know that, that he's a Jesus follower. And then it's public. It's a public confession because he wants everybody to know. And the profession is even, can be even spectacular at times. This is what's called a form of godliness without the power. Um, I mean, do, do we really think that this is enough to get us to heaven? That just saying the right things is going to take away our sin. Do, do we really think that we can go on without a changed life and be saved just because we say we are saved? Our final destiny will be settled, Jesus insists, not by what we s- s- are, 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 are saying to him or by what uh, we will say to him, but whether we do what he says whether our verbal profession is accomplished by a moral obedience. That's what it says. Uh, Only those that get into the kingdom of heaven, it says, but he that doeth the will of my Father. The test of our salvation is not words. Words are not a substitute for obedience. And if these who were highly and rightly affirming Jesus as Lord, if they say all the good they can say and they are turned away from heaven, what makes us think the same will not happen to us? I mean, we are not that special. You are not saved just because you say you are, especially when your life, your thoughts are contrary to what you say. So being saved has nothing to do with what you say. Number two, being saved has nothing to do with what you do. Look at verse 22. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. There's, there's three examples that we, we can call the, the, the highest level of service rendered in the Christian life. Three times they're used, and each time they put the, you know, it's, it, it's put first in the emphasis. They, they, they claim that in the name of Christ, openly and publicly confess that they have they have prophesied, they have proclaimed truth, they have cast out demons, and they've done wonderful works. And there is, is no need to doubt the truth of their claims. Right? I mean, Jesus doesn't repudiate that. I mean, he, he, he doesn't say, no, you didn't preach, and no, you didn't cast out demons, no, you didn't perform miracles. There's no claim to doubt that because great signs and wonders are going to be, be performed by false prophets, false Christs. Uh, Jesus doesn't challenge their claim that these things were or weren't done. And the, and, the, and the threefold repetition of the question each time is in the same form. It expresses the liveliest way that it can, the, the, the bewilderment 
of these false converts at the rejection by Christ. They are utterly shocked. You mean to say, after everything I've done, you're rejecting me? The miracles that Jesus mentioned are not even necessarily false. It is possible to prophesy by the Spirit's inspiration and yet be disobedient to God and be unsaved. See, prophesied means to publicly teach, or, or so, so, so they publicly taught. It, it has a sense of, of, of inspired or, or authoritative teaching. The wonderful works, that just means miracles. Right? They, they preached hot and hard, and they cast out demons, and they did miracles. <coughs> in thy name, in Jesus' name referring to, to him as the sole, of po- sole power in which they, they did these things. I mean, what these people stress as they speak to Christ on Judgment Day is, is, is the name in which they ministered. They have done great works in Jesus' name, in his authority. They did do that. So why wasn't that enough? Why? On, on, on what ground does Jesus reject them and their plea? Well, he says a little later that they are, they are workers of iniquity. <coughs> it is then possible for men who have a reputation for godliness to be workers of iniquity. Matthew Henry says the secret haunts of sin kept under the cloak of a visible profession will be the ruin of the hypocrites. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, it says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Religious works is not a substitute for obedience. If your heart and mind are unchanged by the Holy Spirit, it does not matter how much religious stuff you do. And if those who preach greatly in his name, who did literally send demons running, who actually did actual miracles, if they and all they did, if that could not save them, then what chance do we stand who have done so little? We don't love the Lord. We don't even like coming to church. We can take or leave the Bible, read it or not. We don't really care. We'd rather not hang out with church people. You, you, you want to work for you. You don't want to work for the Lord. I mean, how, how will you pass the judgment when these greater than you did not pass the judgment? Being saved has nothing to do with what you say. Being saved has nothing to do with what you do. And number three, being saved has nothing to do with who you know. Look at verse 23 then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
when you look at verse 21, 22, and 23, what better Christian profession could be given? I mean, here are people who, who call Jesus Lord, and they do it with, with respect, with courtesy, with orthodoxy, with enthusiasm. They do it in private devotion. They do it in public ministry. Uh, what can be wrong with this? Well, in itself, nothing. And yet everything is wrong because it is a talk without truth. It's profession without reality. It's an outward conformity without an inward transformation. It's a fake profession, the, the machinations of, of, a, of a hypocrite exposed. Their rejection by him is that their profession was verbal, it wasn't moral. It, it, it concerned their lips only and not their life. They called Jesus Lord, Lord, but never submitted to his lordship, or they didn't obey the will of his heavenly father. They claimed to do mighty works in the ministry, but in their everyday behavior, the works they they, they do, they're not good, they're evil, they're workers of iniquity, and they are surprised. Lord, what, how, how is this? How are we to be cast out after everything we did for you in your name? I mean, they, they prophesied in his name, but he didn't, he didn't send them. They, they made use of his name, but... You know, a man might, uh, might be a preacher, might have gifts for ministry, might have, you know, what people would call a call, an external looks like a call to it, and, and maybe even some success, and yet be uh, wicked. They may even help people to heaven and still be lost themselves. I mean, if, if that can happen, then then where do we stand? See, Judas cast out demons, and yet he's called, what, the son of perdition, right? Uh, another commentary says, a man might cast out devils of others and yet have a devil, nay, be a devil himself. They will be refused entry because they have not entered through the narrow gate. Then Jesus says, I never knew them. It's an intensive uh, verb. There, there's an intensive sense about this. He, he says, I did not know you with, with any favor. I never acknowledged you. I never had a relationship with you. They would be refused admission to the kingdom because Jesus had no relationship with them. You may know Jesus. I mean, Judas knew Jesus. These false converts knew Jesus, but, but there is no spiritual nepotism here. It's not who you know or what you know. It doesn't matter who you think you know here. See, I, I, I know Sean Parnell, one of our former governors. I went to school with him in Anchorage. I have no relationship with him. I could call him. He has no clue who I am, all right? We understand that. And, and, and we, we should get this, right? You know, we have 2,000 friends on Facebook. We've met, like, what, 38 of them? 
we, we understand what it means to, to, to know or to, or to be known. Saying the right things about Jesus. Doing the right things for Jesus and knowing of Jesus have nothing to do with being saved. But number four, being saved has everything to do with who knows you. Look at it again, verse 23. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Here he tears off the mask. In verse 21, uh, we see that they're not doing the will of the Father, obviously, but they're doing their own will. And by using the word doeth there up in verse 21, he is stressing that the faith that saves is the faith which recognizes Jesus as the absolute Lord of the believer's life. Mere verbal assent, just saying it without a changed life, uh, it's not enough. You must do the will of his Father once you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you can only do the will of the Father once you know Jesus as Savior and the Spirit of God indwells you and gives you the ability, the capacity to obey. Now this this is his will, that we believe in Christ, that we repent of our sin, that we live a holy life, that we love one another. This is his will, even our sanctification. Obedience to his will through the power of the Holy Spirit is the test of true faith in Christ. Jesus will be absolutely unwavering in uh, enforcing this standard. John Stott says that Jesus emphasizes with great solemnity that our eternal destiny depends on a thoroughgoing obedience. It means our ongoing obedience is proof that there is a relationship with Christ. See, these, these guys, they used his name freely. But their name was unknown to him. They claimed intimacy with Christ, but, but he repudiates their claim because there was no relationship. And if they had, their lives would have shown it. If they had a relationship with Christ, Christ would not have said, I don't know you. Their acquaintance with Christ, it wasn't, um, it wasn't broken off. Um, there, there never was any relationship. They were, they were never known by Christ. They didn't lose their salvation. They were never saved to begin with. And this, this was their problem, and it's our problem. We think that because we have done a few spiritual things that, that we've added some veracity to our claim to salvation. And like these false converts, uh, some of us will be horrifyingly disappointed when we find out that what little we think we did and, 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 and all the confidence and, and all the security that we put into it was never going to be enough to save us from the wrath of God. 
works not done by a redeemed person are still all iniquity. A lost person cannot do anything to please God, not one thing, because they are lost in their sins. Works have no worth in God's sight unless they're done by somebody who is redeemed, who has trusted Jesus as their Savior. See, saying, saying ain't doing. You must be saved before you can do any good works for God. And God gets to decide what the good works are. One commentary says it is real holiness or sanctification that is accepted of God. Grace and love are a more excellent way than removing mountains or speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. Grace will bring a man to heaven without working miracles, but working miracles will never bring a man to heaven without grace. Jesus is saying, I never owned you as my servants. No, not when you prophesied in my name at the height of your profession, uh, when you were most celebrated, I never knew you. And this suggests that if he had never known them as the Lord knows them that are his, um, if he'd never owned them and loved them as his, uh, if he had done, he would have known them, and he would have owned them, and he would have loved them to the very end. But he says, I never knew you, which means he never had a relationship with them. He always knew them to be hypocrites. He always knew them to be rotten at heart, just like he did Judas. So he says, depart from me. Matthew Henry again says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. You cannot depart from iniquity without the indwelling Holy Spirit, and you get the Holy Spirit when Jesus saves you. So when a person is truly born again, he has the Spirit of God living within them. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 9. The Spirit enables him to know and do God's will. God love, God's, God's love is, is, is indwelling their heart. That's Romans 5, 5. It motivates them to obey God, to serve God. Now look, note that these, uh, these counterfeits, they are surprised at the judgment. And that tells us it is possible to fool ourselves. It is possible to deceive ourselves. Satan blinds the mind. He deceives people into thinking they're saved when they're not. When Christ returns, millions of professing Christians are going to be surprised to find out that Jesus never knew them. Look, if, if, if a preacher, one that cast out demons and worked miracles, can be rejected by Christ uh, for, for working iniquity, what will become of us if we're found like him? And if we are found like him, then our end is going to be his end. His end will be ours. At God's judgment bench, a commentary says, a profession of religion will not bear out any man in the practice and indulgence of sin. Therefore, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from
from iniquity. Another one says, they that would not come to him to be saved must depart from him to be damned. To depart from Christ is the very hell of hells. It is the foundation of all the misery of the damned. To be cut off from all hope of benefit from Christ and his mediation. Jesus isn't impressed by our pious, orthodox words or how much Bible we read, how early we get up to read it, how many devotions we do, how much Bible that we have memorized or what little work we do for him through the church or the money we give or any service that we think we do. None of that impresses Jesus at all. He still asks for evidence of our sincerity and just good works of obedience. In James 1, verses 22 to 25, it teaches us that we're to hear God's words and then do God's words. So here is is our warning this morning, that, that marginal Christianity is false Christianity. You can't fake it till you make it, you don't get to decide how much Bible is enough or, or how much church is enough or, or, or how much giving is enough or how much serving is enough or how much love is enough. You can do everything right on the outside and still be wicked on the inside. You are only saved if Jesus knows you. And if he knows you, The Holy Spirit will be indwelling you, giving you the power and the desire to do the will of the Father. See, he will work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when Jesus knows you, then there's a relationship. You'll not be satisfied with seeing how little of Christ you can get away with. When Jesus knows you, you want as much of him as you can hold, and then you want more, and then you reshape your life to fit even more of him, and you get rid of things to make more room for him. Because that is what somebody with a relationship with Christ does. The Holy Spirit won't let you not. These people went into eternity having convinced themselves that they were saved. They were horrifyingly disappointed. tragic to step into the eternity with confidence in yourself to hear Jesus say I never knew you depart from me you worker of iniquity but if we hear that it's too late if we hear that there's nothing we can do All hope is lost. 
I am not saying you are lost. I am not saying you are saved. That is not my call. I am not your judge. But my job is to present the whole counsel of God. And God says there are people who will die thinking they're saved and they are not. I don't want that to be you. I don't want you to hear these words. So I beg you to examine yourselves that you be in the household of faith. I challenge you to examine the profession of faith that you have to make sure that it is true and right and biblical so that you never have to hear this. God is not willing that you should perish. He doesn't want that to happen. So make your calling and election sure. Just stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. With a message like this, and please keep your heads bowed and eyes closed so nobody can look around and see anything. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But we can't preach a message like this and at least not give you an opportunity to respond in some way. So if you are not sure, or if the Holy Spirit of God has, has, has caused you to call into question your profession of faith, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Just the hand up and the hand down, that's all. Is there anyone that is not sure that, that they've, they've, they've not seen the transforming work of the Spirit of God in their life, and they're just not sure, and you want to be, and you say, Pastor, just pray for me. Your hand up and hand down. All right, I see, I see one. Anybody else? Nobody's looking around. This is just between you and God. I see that hand. Thank you. Now with that hand up, just in case somebody's too embarrassed, doesn't want to raise their hand right now, I want to encourage you to find find me, find Becky, find one of the other men or ladies of the church this morning and talk to us. Make sure that the profession you carry around is 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 the profession that that Jesus knows you and has and is working to change your life that you not have to hear these horrifying words. Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, it was um, it was a little rough. But Father, it is truth, and you write it not to uh, condemn us, not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but Lord, to to give us truth. 
So Father, I pray for the one that raised the hand, for the others that should have if, if, if need be, that Father, your Holy Spirit would so convict them pray, Father, that the conviction would be so strong that they would not be able to sleep, that they would not be able to rest until their eternal destination is settled with you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit just work and do what he does to peel away the pride, the self-righteousness, the hypocrisy, the ignorance, whatever it is, that would hinder them from examining what they think is their profession of faith, Lord, and lay it before you and have you examine it through your word. What your word says in, in Hebrews 4.12 that, that your word has a power to lay open our hearts, to lay open our spirits, to fillet us like a fish to expose us to ourselves. So this morning, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do that. And Lord, for those of us who, who have that relationship, you know us. We are at peace with you. We have relationship with you. We know that the Holy Spirit works in us. We know he is changing our thinking and changing our behavior. He is renewing our mind. We are being transformed. Father, I pray that you would uh, renew in us the fervor of service and obedience to you. Father, we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We do not want to hear, I don't know you, depart from me. So for the saved, Father, I pray for strength. Lord, for those that are lost this morning, I pray for their salvation, for whatever it will take to bring them to a relationship with you. For we come to you in, in your authority, in your name, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead?